It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Jesus 
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, opening up this uh, Good Friday edition with uh, music from my good friend George Winters from his CD, I Believe, a song, Jesus Lived and Died for Us, which uh, is at the heart of this Easter weekend for Christians uh, celebrating Easter here in the United States. And I thought, um, in in honor of that holiday, and it's uh, one of the most important for people of the Christian faith to uh, acknowledge uh, Christ's dying on the on the cross on Good Friday, and uh, and then rising from the tomb on uh, Easter Sunday, and uh, Easter is celebrated this Sunday here in the U.S. on Monday in Canada, and uh, so. We're gonna we're gonna pay a little tribute to Easter um, today as part of uh, Good Friday, uh, but also on Monday as well. And uh, I went through the archives to see if there were some appropriate interviews, and wouldn't you know it, there are. Also being commemorated this weekend. Uh, starting at sundown tonight, Rosh Hashanah for people of the Jewish faith. So, uh, for today's show, this is, um, let's see, I think I have, I think I have everything here. Um, yeah, I, I dug into the, uh, into the archives and I found a couple of interviews with Deborah Dash Moore, who is the, uh, Frederick G. L. Hewitt Well, a uh, professor of history and professor of Judaic studies at the University of Michigan, and she's editor in chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization, which is kind of a, an encyclopedia of uh, Jewish writings. Um, uh, Volume 8, for example, is Crisis and Creativity Between World Wars from 1918 to 1939. That's just one of several volumes that are being worked on, and she is the uh, editor-in-chief of that project. Anyway, very interesting conversation, and that's just a, a hat tip to uh, um, our Jewish friends who will be celebrating Rosh Hashanah beginning at sundown tonight. Uh, before that, we're going to talk with, um, this is a very interesting book, the, um, let's see, uh, where is she from? Um, Catherine Stewart, um, I found an interview with her. She's the author of a book called The Power Worshippers, Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. And um, her stories have appeared in the New York Times and uh, on NBC, the New Republic, and the New York Review of Books. Um, she is... Uh, an investigative reporter, but she focuses on um, religious uh, things, and so this. Uh, anyway, it's a very interesting conversation. I, th I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. You'll find it interesting. But we're going to start out with um, this guy's fascinating. Jean Pierre Isbout is a historian, best-selling National Geographic author, and an award-winning screenwriter and film director. And um, he, he really works full-time as a historian 
uh, author, filmmaker, uh, and doctoral professor. Um, and he has worked on several projects for National Geographic, including one we're going to talk about here in oh, just under two minutes. Um, it's called In the Footsteps of Jesus, a Chronicle of His Life and the Origins of Christianity. Of course, it's uh, from National Geographic, and it's um, it's an amazing book, and uh, Jean-Pierre Isboots is uh, an interesting guy, and it's an interesting conversation. I hope you uh, enjoy it. Then coming up on uh, Monday, we'll do our uh, post-Easter special here on the Tom Sumner program. And let's see if I've got these in the right order. Uh, uh, yep, got it in the right in the right order. Coming up on uh, Monday, we're going to talk with. Um, Elizabeth Diaz from uh, Time Magazine about her book, What Did Jesus Ask? And then uh, a fascinating um, war it's part biography of a wartime adventurer and part detective story uh, called The Saint Makers Inside the Catholic Church and How a War Hero Inspired a Journey of Faith. And then we'll wrap things up on Monday with James uh, Redfield, who is an author of a number of critically acclaimed books, including the phenomenal international bestseller, uh, The Celestine Prophecy. And he was on the show talking about that, so we'll have that conversation with James Redfield on Monday as well. Anyway, stand by. Jean-Pierre, up next. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour has spent 15 years researching the historical Jesus, emphatically looking for sources not deeply investigated by his peers. He is uh, a humanities professor and author of numerous National Geographic books on the subject, including the one we're going to talk about today, In the Footsteps of Jesus. Um, and uh, he joins me by phone. His name is uh, Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts. Jean-Pierre, welcome to the show. Um, thanks for having me. Um, how did you decide to to chronicle the life of of Christ and and research the origins of Christianity? Well, that's a good question, Tom. You know, we live in a in an age of specialists, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, especially because I'm very active, of course, in academy and in. Uh, uh, scholarship, you know, we, we tend to think that everybody should stick to his trade. I'm sort of a, a person who likes to combine things, who likes to look at things from a multidisciplinary perspective. And I, I'm very blessed in that regard because I and, um, I have degrees in, in musicology, in uh, history, and in archaeology. And, and that's what I wanted to bring to the story of Jesus. Uh, the, the character of the historical Jesus is, is someone who's fascinated me from, from, from childhood. 
Jean-Pierre, I, I got to back you up for a minute. What were the degrees? Oh, I, I studied um, at gra in graduate school. I studied uh, history, uh, art history, archaeology, and musicology uh, because I couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to do. <laughs> I, I was going to say, couldn't you decide on a major? <laughs> No, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I did my thesis on 19th century uh, music of the Balakira Circle, and then I did a thesis on American 19th century architecture, and uh, I did work on, on Renaissance art, and I, you know, my professors were sort of rolling their eyes, but I just, uh, I thought it was also so fascinating. Uh, but then I, I really got really interested in, and biblical archaeology and history. And this is because, you know, I went to university in, in the 70s when, when biblical archaeology was really just emerging uh, from, of course, the havoc of, of World War II. This was also a time when uh, Israel, the Six-Day War, when Israel conquered the uh, old city of Jerusalem, and I'm not going to go into the political aspects of that, but in any case... It did allow Israeli archaeologists to start excavating um, the old city, and, and specifically, of course, the um, uh, Haram al-Sharif, as the Arabs call it, the Temple Mount, uh, where they were able to excavate parts of that great, great sanctuary, the Second Temple, which has told us, uh, has really shown us so much more. Of course, those are the famous things, but there are lots of other discoveries that don't necessarily make the headlines that are incredibly interesting and that really in informed my book because I really wanted to, to give a holistic view of Jesus, not just the Jesus of faith, not just the Jesus of history, not just the Jesus as, as revealed in Jewish writings or in Roman writings, I wanted to bring all of that together and create a three-dimensional portrait of a man of flesh and blood, someone that we could get close to, that we could really become uh, far, far more closer than, than ever before. And, uh, you know, I give lots of lectures on the topic, and, and people often ask me, do you think there is a, a difference between the Christ of faith and the Jesus of history? And my answer is always, well, of course, there are differences, but they're not essential. The essential parameters of Jesus' incredible ministry are supported by a whole host of scientific evidence. And that's what I want to bring to this book and in a way that is accessible, not just to specialists, but to every reader, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, whether you're agnostic, just want to know more about the history that, that was the goal when I sat down to write this book, and, and I'm so grateful to National Geographic that they believed in the project and that they supported it with a wonderful team, and the result is this, uh, is this beautiful book. More about the life of Jesus and the origins of Christianity with biblical scholar Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts is straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the life of Jesus and the origins of Christianity with biblical scholar Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts is straight ahead. How much evidence is there for the existence and about the life of Christ outside of the Bible? And I'm talking about archaeological finds, you know, actual physical uh, evidence, historical records, etc. Well, that's a good question. And, of course, uh, we have to understand that um, this was the first century. You know, people always say, well, you know, exactly that. You know, uh, there's no evidence for Jesus. I said, well, no. He didn't have an Instagram account. Uh, there were no Polaroids of the apostles. But I think we so often bring a, 20 cent- a 21st century mind to an ancient problem. I think when you look at the Roman sources, we have a detailed attestation of Jesus in uh, a book written by a Jewish historian uh, working in Rome, Josephus. He describes um, the, um, he has a a, a long paragraph about Jesus, and the facts that he notes uh, are completely consonant with the Gospels. Yes, there are interpolations that were added by medieval monks who who, you know, uh, copied the work from Roman times and, and were able to preserve it for modern times. And in the process, they sort of tried to embellish the paragraph. But it's, it's fairly easy linguistically to ferret out the original text. That's one thing. Uh, the Roman historians, Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, refer to, to their Christ, uh, Christus, as they call them. Now, of course, they no longer understand that Christ is, um, is the Greek translation of the word Messiah. You know, when we say Jesus Christ, what we actually mean is Jesus the Messiah. Christos, in Greek, is the translation of the Jewish Mashiach, the Messiah. But, uh, so there is really a lot of uh, uh, documentary attestation of Jesus outside of the Christian orbit. And, of course, then, then there's the archaeological evidence. Uh, you know, for example, that uh, from a very early age on, maybe as early as the 2nd century, some people believe the late 1st century, the house in Capernaum, which was sort of the headquarters, the base of the Jesus movement, if you call it that, uh, which was the house of the mother-in-law of Peter, Simon Peter, um, very early on, archaeologists have been able to identify uh, a shrine which later became a Byzantine church, which later became a Christian church, <laughs> tracing all the way back, uh, attesting to the fact that what the Gospels say, that Jesus launched his ministry in Capernaum, is, is, is really shown by the evidence uh, of these archaeological digs. And, and then, of course, there's a whole, whole large amount of, of uh, what, we could, what we call um, circumstantial evidence. You know, the uh, discovery of a synagogue in Magdala, which is the most exciting thing that happened in the last 15 years in biblical archaeology. Uh, why is that exciting? Well, uh, for a long time, we all thought that there were no synagogues in Galilee during the time of Jesus. Why not? Well, there was the temple. You know, during, for the three main festivals, 
uh, you went down to the temple. That's what you did. You packed up the kids, and you went down to Jerusalem, and you celebrated in the temple. Uh, so why would you need a synagogue, a purpose-built synagogue? On Shabbat, you would gather at the village well or, you know, in a home of an elder, and that's where you celebrated Shabbat. But you didn't need a dedicated building for that. Well, that whole, that whole theory, which was pretty much in place for much of the 20th century, was completely upstaged when a wonderful Israeli archaeologist discovered this synagogue in Magdala, the, the town of Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, and uh, a coin uh, embedded in the floor of the synagogue shows that it was built, or at least it was in existence as early as 27 AD, the time of Jesus. So all of a sudden, entire <laughs> the whole uh, house of ideas about uh, faith, and, and religion in Galilee in the time of Jesus, education, because synagogues typically had a little school for boys to learn Hebrew scripture. All that came crushing down, and now we're grappling with the fact that, uh, gee, there were synagogues in the time of Jesus in Galilee. And, and so when, when, when Luke and, and Mark both state that Jesus launched his ministry in the synagogue, and he may actually be correct. So... So that's why all of these different disciplines work together. Not always, but many times they work together. And, and that's where I get very, very excited, Tom, when, when science intersects with the tradition, with the biblical oral transmission. That's where, the, that's where I get very excited. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, and it, there's so much to unpack here, and I don't know if we'll get it all done in the time that... that we have allotted. Obviously, you've written many, many books on the subject, Jean-Pierre. But you said something that, that made my ears perk up a little bit when you said linguistically. And I wondered how many languages had to be, you know, translated and deciphered to piece together bits of information from texts other than the Bible. Not that the Bible doesn't have a lot of interpreting right. to do depending on which versions you have yeah that, that's a that's a great question and, and that's a that's a discipline called biblical exegesis what it means is that um, people study the texts and try to discern the underlying oral tradition all of the bible whether we talk about hebrew scripture which christians call the old testament i prefer the world the word hebrew scripture as well as the New Testament, uh, the Gospels and so forth, are uh, based on oral tradition. It's important that we remember that. Of course, tradition tells us that uh, the, the, the laws of Moses, the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, as the Jews call them, the Jewish law, was handed down by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And, and it's, it's a wonderful tradition, and I think it has very important meaning. But historically, that that segment of the Bible was transmitted through multiple oral strands. And uh, in the 7th century, starting with uh, the kingdom of Josiah, uh, Josiah is the one who really said, Let, let's, let's start to document these, tra these, these strands. And so it's, it, it's thanks to the scribes of the 7th century all the way through the exile and after the exile that, that these um, very diligent and expert people 
try to weave these different oral transmissions, uh, stories told around the campfire from generation to generation, were put together in, in a cohesive story. And it's a brilliantly done. And if you read the text and you're not aware of it, you think it's all one single story. But actually, it is a, an excellent and really brilliant uh, weaving together of, of different oral transmissions, each of which originated at a particular point in time and carried its unique cultural context with it. And the same is true uh, for the Gospels. And let, let me give you one example, if, if I may. Um, there are obviously differences between the four Gospels. And the reason is that uh, the evangelists, as brilliant as they were, were not eyewitnesses. They were not physically part of the movement. I know some of the church traditions say that, and I'm very respectful of church tradition. I'm an observant, practicing Christian myself. But as a historian, we have to acknowledge that, that the Gospels were written outside of Roman Palestine by scribes who typically were commissioned to do that by the local Christian community. In the case of Mark, Luke, and Matthew, these were Jewish Christian communities because they referred to Passover, they referred to uh, other festivals and customs, and they assumed that their audience understands what they're talking about because their thrust is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Mashiach, and they don't have to explain what that is. The Gospel of John is written for a Gentile audience. That's why John has to explain certain things. He has to explain Passover, for example. So there, these, these documents emerged in different places in the Roman Empire for very different audiences. You know, to, to write a book took time, it took money. So typically these authors were commissioned to do that. And what is so amazing to me is that despite of that, without the Internet, without newspapers, without CNN or Fox News, the four Gospels are so similar. I mean, you have to see a divine hand in there. Yes, there are differences, but I'd rather we focus on what they have in common. Sure. And there are so many stories that they have in common. And so that's, that's the long answer to, to your question about the textual analysis. I think the fact that there's so much agreement across the Gospels, despite all these years of oral transmission, that, uh, that we have these Gospels, and they, they are such rich documents. Yeah, a lot, of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that those Gospels were written many years after Christ's death. And, yeah. and, and from memory, or as you point out, from oral tradition, the way the stories have been told for a generation. That, that's absolutely right. And... And in fact, John, the evangelist, John, who writes at the very end of the first century, and these, these dates are not cast in stone, but, but we believe that Mark, Mark is the oldest, he writes in 66, between 66 and 70, I believe because of the outbreak of the Jewish war, we could talk a little bit about that, uh, then uh, Luke and Matthew write about uh, 10, 15, 20 years later, clearly with knowledge of Mark's gospel, because about two-thirds of Mark's gospel appears in that of Matthew 
and Luke, even though they have also other sources that Mark does not have access to, we call that Q or Quelle, the German word for source. It's a putative document. It doesn't, hasn't survived, but we can reconstruct it by, uh, again, analyzing the text of Luke and Matthew. And then you have John, and John actually uh, identifies the, the, the oral testimony, the eyewitness account, that on which most of his gospel is, is based. And, and, and even though he writes at the very end of the first century, uh, apparently he also has other sources that were not available to the other three evangelists, such as, for example, the story of the wedding in Cana, uh, which do not appear in the other gospel. So it's a fast, that in itself is a fascinating subject. I, I, I certainly describe it in the book. It's part of the puzzle, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. You know, the, uh, this weekend, uh, Christians will be um, remembering the, the crucifixion of Jesus and, and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, at least the way we um, celebrate it in the United States. And my my question is, this is the the whole story has been called the the greatest story ever told. But are there um, definitive records of Christ's crucifixion, arrest records, sentencing records, any kind of, historical documents that the um, that the Romans might have kept that verifies that an event took place? That's a, that's a great question. And here I, I got to talk a little bit about the, the, the jurisprudence uh, at the time. Um, you know, the Romans were, uh, were very good about applying their law. They had a very highly developed law. In fact, much of that Roman law would be adopted uh, by Europe in the 17th and 18th century and ultimately would filter in into our, our legislation. So it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very good uh, set of laws. The, the problem was that Jesus was not a Roman. He was not a Roman citizen, right? We forget that. He was not a Roman citizen. He was a colonial subject, basically a stateless person uh, from the perspective of the uh, Roman authorities. So when you see is that when, when Paul is arrested, according to the book of Acts of the Apostles, uh, the first thing he does is he loudly says, you know, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. I'm a citizen. So I'm not going to be dragged in front of a kangaroo court in Jerusalem or some other place in Caesarea, I insist on a proper Roman trial under the Jus Civile, the civil law. And, uh, and he does. And, and the Romans have no choice but to uh, honor that. He's put on the ship, and of course he's shipwrecked, and ultimately he makes his way to Rome. The trial never took place, but in any case, that's what a citizen could do. Jesus didn't have those rights. He only... Uh, could appeal to a very flimsy law that applied to foreigners like him, which was the use gentium, the law of foreigners. And basically, it wasn't really not a law at all. 
it gave the local magistrate, whoever that was, a governor or a prefect, full latitude to do what he wanted to do. And there was no need for records to be kept because uh, these colonials, well, they're, you know, they're just a rabble. Who needs to document that? And so we see, for example, that uh, Mark, who, again, is the, the oldest gospel, closest to the historical material, the oral transmissions, I think, describes it very well. This is not a trial. This is a brief hearing. Pilate is having dinner or he's doing something uh, in the evening, and all of a sudden uh, some of his uh, guards bring in this, this, this man, and he says, uh, wait, what, what's the charge? Well, political sedition. He proclaimed himself king of the Jews. And Pilate says, well, what do you have to say about it? And Jesus is largely silent. He says, okay, end the story. There's only one punishment that, that should be meted out for anyone who was contemplating political revolution in the Roman Empire, and by default, that was crucifixion. Same with Spartacus and his followers. They were crucified along the Via Appia. And same with Jesus. There was not even a... A, a, a debate. It was a foregone conclusion. And so that's why we don't have records per se uh, of that time. But we do have Josephus, that Jewish historian who wrote in Rome. So, you know, his, uh, he was funded by the House of Vespasian, the Roman emperor. So he couldn't say anything nasty about Romans <laughs> or he would be, uh, he would get into trouble, you know politically correct, uh, first century style, uh, but still he has the courage to say in his book that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, the official Roman governor of the time. So to me that is astounding evidence, uh, both from the Gospels as well as from independent, if you will, Roman documents, that this was a historical event, that this was an historical occurrence. And, uh, of course, then we have Suetonius and we have Tacitus and all the other historians of the first century who also confirmed that, who confirmed the existence of Christus, as they call it, which is a Latin version of Christos, which is, of course, our word Christ. Now, that actually means, Christos means the anointed one, which uh, is the translation of the word Mashiach or Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, we actually say Jesus the Messiah. That's, that's the meaning of the word Jesus Christ. So anyway, another long answer to your question, but those are the uh, documentation we have of the crucifixion. More about the life of Jesus and the origins of Christianity with biblical scholar Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts is straight ahead. <laughs> Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He restores my failing health. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. 
Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life, and afterwards I will live with you forever in your home. In your home. In your home. In your home. Unlike any other place, it was solid as a rock. Even the devil could not find a key to the doors that had no lock. It was a quality that could only be described by the ones who found Jesus. Jesus there inside In that little church By the side of the road And the people came From miles around Just to hear that preacher man speak Raised up on his toes, yeah He put on a show on the seventh day of the week It had a quality that could only be described By the ones who found reason to survive In that little church by the side of the road And the choir sang slightly Fans held off the heat in the room If ever there was a safe place to be It was surely Held off that heat in the room It's been ten long years Since I set the man free You're the one that I used to be There was a quality That could only be described By the ones who found reason To be alive that little church, yeah, our little church, a church by the side of the road, a church by the side of the road.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the life of Jesus and the origins of Christianity with biblical scholar Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts is straight ahead. The arrest itself, um, you suggest, was uh, actually um, brought about by his protest in the temple uh, when he called the high Mm -hmm. priest uh, Caiaphas and the chief priests a den of thieves. That's according to to Mark. Um, When you look back at those events... um, from the 21st century, and you see different accounts of the same events. Are you are you able to see through, like the political correctness of uh, Jehephus? Well, th- this is a great question, and uh, uh, it's interesting that uh, all of the evangelists base their passion story on Mark. Uh, when you look at the other stories of Jesus and his ministry, there's a wide variety of, of all transmission, and so there are some differences. But when you look at the Passion, the Passion is entirely based on Mark's version, and we believe that Mark himself based that on a possibly a, a document that's referred to as the Cross Gospel. That's just a name. You know, we don't know. It, we, we no longer have it. But both but Luke, Matthew, and John all base their passion story on Mark. They embellish it. John creates these beautiful monologues around it. But it all goes back to Mark. And this is what I try to do in, in the book, in the footsteps. What I try to do is reconstruct those events hour by hour. What happened? Why did it happen that way? Uh, where did it take place? How did you get from A to B and B to C? And and, uh, my conclusions are that Jesus created this little riot in the forecourt of the temple, you know, when he chased the money changers out of the temple, because uh, this was unprecedented that lambs were going to be offered for sale to be sacrificed at Passover in the temple itself that had never been done before. And, and I, I rely on some other authors who have also studied this. Up to this point, the sale of sacrificial lambs for sacrifice at Passover took place on, on the Mount of Olives. You know, a, lot, a lot of space, a lot of space. You would walk around, you'd pick your lamb, you'd pay for it with any currency that you happen to have. And you took that animal all the way down from the Mount of Olives through the Valley of Kidron, up the hill, through the throngs, the crowds of Passover, into the temple. Well, you can imagine, by the time that poor animal got into the temple, it was beaten up, and the priest would say, sorry, it's not unblemished. Off you go, you can't use it. Well, obviously, these people were upset. So what Caiaphas did, he said, look, why don't we bring the sale of these lands inside the temple? First of all, we can... Decree we can certify that these lambs are unblemished and fit for Passover. Second of all, you don't have to take them all through kingdom come. You can just take them from the forecourt directly into uh, the inner court of the altar where the lamb would be. It's a brilliant idea. Just one little, one little, little detail here. 
you could not use Roman currency in the temple. Why not? Because Roman currency had the image of the emperor. And any images of living people were not allowed in Judaism, certainly not in the temple itself. So you had to take your Roman currency and change it, or Greek currency for that matter, and change it into the only currency allowed in the temple walls, which is the Tyrian shekel. So that's why there are money changers. So it all makes perfect sense. The problem is that Jesus wasn't aware of that. So here he comes, right? And in my book, I I describe that he planned to give a a sermon, uh, just like Jeremiah had done, the prophet Jeremiah, who was a great influence on his ministry. And he's all prepped to go. The apostles are with him. And he goes into the forecourt. And he's getting ready to, you know, he's going to stand there and he's going to give this, this beautiful, beautiful speech that will rally people around the kingdom of God. And what? The place is like a bazaar, like a kashba, right? Screaming merchants, uh, throwing out prices and money changers, throwing their currency rates. It's a zoo. And that's when he gets upset. And he starts to say, you know, you, you have made this uh, a den of thieves. And, and this is so interesting, and I, I don't think any other scholar, and I have the deepest respect for my peers, but I don't think any other scholar has ever related uh, the ministry of Jesus to something that happened in 27, 28 AD, which is when Pilate and Caiaphas were in collusion to steal money from the treasury of the temple. Josephus reports that these are our only source. Caiaphas and Pilate were in collusion to steal money from the temple in order to build, that was their excuse, an aqueduct. Never happened. And so you can imagine when Jesus, just 18 months later, comes into the temple and throws out to Caiaphas, you've made this a den of thieves, he, that is immediately uh, interpreted as another accusation for what they did just 18 months earlier with the aqueduct affair. And that's why the warrant for his arrest went out, and that's why he was ultimately arrested, and that's why Caiaphas has this animus against Jesus. Uh, And he he wants to see him indicted and crucified, and that's why the indictment takes place in his own home, which is completely illegal, because all hearings of the Sanhedrin have to take place with a full quorum in the temple, he does it in secret. He does it in his own home. And when he obviously lacks the quorum to condemn Jesus to death, he hands him over to the Romans, and he says, here's a political rebel, knowing full well that that would be instant execution. Anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but that's how these things evolve. I, I like your long answers, Jean-Pierre. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, we're running out of time, and I feel like we've we've just barely scratched the surface and certainly not dug in as deep as as you have over the last 15 years um but i do always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and obviously the book i mentioned in the footsteps of jesus a chronicle of his life and the origins of christianity the second edition uh is out and um that's from national geographic and you've done many books for national geographic but so people might find out a little bit 
more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, I have a website. It's uh, jpisbots, J-P-I-S-B-O-U-T-S dot org, uh, where you can find lots more about um, my books and in the footsteps in particular. You can also go to a wonderful social media platform that I use a lot. It's called Vimeo, Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, very simple. And if you go there, just uh, enter uh, In the Footsteps of Jesus. You will go straight to a series of video podcasts that I've done, uh, particularly for Easter, since so many uh, people are not able to celebrate Easter in church. Uh, so I made a, a series of podcasts with lots of beautiful images and pictures uh, based on the book. And in there, you will also find uh, links to my website and, and other sources. Well, thanks so much for spending this time with us, uh, Jean-Pierre, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Tom, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take care. That was uh, Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbout. He is the uh, author of In the Footsteps of Jesus, a Chronicle of His Life and the Origins of Christianity from National Geographic, now in its second edition. But he's... uh, written several um, books for National Geographic on uh, um, the Bible and and Christianity. So uh, be sure and uh, check him out at uh, jpisbouts.org. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.
the Tom